0: Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast, and in this episode, we'll be continuing our look at Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, and we'll be looking at the second part, this part of will be chapters 10 through 15, I guess, uh, the second 100 pages. We're coming up to the halfway point. Uh, this book is split between two volumes uh, at the 250-page mark, so we're about halfway through. Um this part of the story covers uh basically the the centerpiece is, we have two plots going on of course two main plots and that one is um Eliza and George running away uh, two slaves running away from the Shelby plantation after well George because, well George from a different plantation or a different farm nearby but he's married to Eliza he he leaves because of various offenses committed by his master against him, Eliza leaves because she hears her, her son's going to be sold off. And then the other plot is is Tom, who is sold, uh, but you know, on the same deal that was going to sell Eliza's uh, son, and he's goes, you know, and he he finds out he's going to be sold. So this part of the story covers like Eliza after she kind of got to safety, uh, being helped by Quakers, um, and is reunited with George. We see some of George's adventures during his escape, and and his characterization is really well developed in this section. And then most importantly, perhaps, as we see Tom's characterization being really explored as he's uh, traveling south with Mr. Haley, the slave trader, and um, experiencing uh, life on the internal domestic slave trade. Um, And he is particularly an interesting character in this part of the of the story so chapter 10 is called uh the property is carried off um this is something or uh, yeah the property is carried off is the name of it um this is a something that uh harry peter stowe does a lot in this book is instead of referring to characters by name in the chapter titles referring to um, you know, some title or something and, and here the property, right? So th- sometimes it's not clear because we have different examples of of property, but uh, you know, Eliza's property too, but she gets, she earns her freedom. Tom remains property throughout the novel, right? So uh, I don't know if there's too much to read into it, but she's obviously like condemning this whole idea that slaves should be property, of course, but um, I think it's in this section of the book that we start to see maybe what her um, some like other theme she's exploring besides just slavery. Bad, obviously slavery is bad. We don't need that uh, really to be educated on that point. But she's really emphasizing how like religion uh, and moral questions that is expose the true character of a person. Right. So Tom is is following like biblical law in the sense that he's like turning the other cheek. He's not seeking out revenge against when he's being mistreated. He's obeying his master. He's kind of getting this from religion. Now, obviously, that's a religion that's been maybe corrupted by slaveholders, ideology and all that. But nevertheless, he's he's kind of following that. And then Eliza is also motivated by a certain religious value based on her motherhood. Right, um, George is George. You know, all these characters are religious, but they interpret it in different ways, leading them to, to action. And then with the slave, well, with George, it's it's maybe it's harder to see, perhaps. But in a way, he's got his same kind of gendered ideology about what it is to be a man. Um, that's coming from his, you know, his. That's kind of his religion. And then we have the slaveholders of various stripes. Uh, many of the women are standing up against slavery, but they're presented as people who don't have choice in the family. But then you have, like, Shelby, or later on you have the, what's their name, the, the, the St. Clairs, Augustine St. Clairs. It's an interesting name. Uh, Augustine Saint, St. Augustine. Um, so we got, he, he he becomes Tom's master, and he's also kind of the good master. But even though they're religious and they have concerns about slavery none of them are are free and they're slaves i mean they're their religion only takes them so far in that maybe they're not horribly violent or mistreating but at the end of the day they still make the financial decisions now i don't know how saint Clair's is going to end up but that's certainly the case with shelby shelby who uh you know still sold tom and 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 harry uh, that's eliza's son so anyways, uh, chapter uh, eight, the property is carried off. This chapter is mostly in Uncle Tom's cabin. I don't know if we'll ever see it again, um, but he, he leaves at the end of this chapter. Um, and he basically has his goodbyes with uh, his, you know, the, the other slaves and his family and things like that. And we get a little of exposition. I talked about this last episode, too, is that there is a, a, a great deal of, of moments where, well, like, I guess it's third wall breaking. Um, where? Or is it fifth wall? Do We call it the fifth wall. There's four sides to the screen, so the, the the fifth wall must be us, right? Yeah. Anyways, whatever it is, there's a lot of that in the book where it's Harry Peter still kind of entering in like some clarity. So like this is how it really is. Uh, it's kind of like nonfiction segments within this uh, fictional story and here we have quote in order to appreciate the sufferings of the Negroes sold south It must be remembered that all the instinctive affections of that race are peculiarly particularly strong Their local attachments are very abiding They're not naturally daring and enterprising but home-loving and affectionate add to this all the tears to which ignorance invests the unknown add to this again the selling of the south is set before the negro from childhood as the last severity of punishment the threat that terrifies more than whipping or torture or any kind is a threat of being sent down river unquote so the problem with this is it it's there's a lot of like obviously she's, uh, i there's a lot of like stereotypes about american blacks here that Stowe is falling for, um, and of course, many abolitionists did have um, racialist ideas. They certainly saw the world as divided by race. They weren't post-racial or anything like that. So we have here uh, an idea of black people being like over, like particularly sentimental, particularly attached to family. She says that several times in the story too. That black characters are, you know, like feel emotions almost at a higher level. Um, You know, we we see like George when he's talking about running away, he's full of anger and emotion and Eliza's full of love for her child. And Uncle Tom is is full of kind of almost a universal love for all mankind that leads him not to be able to resist and and to help white people, even though they're oppressing him. Um, There's like emotions are dialed up a little bit with with black characters and that you know, it's not an accidentally negative stereotype, but all stereotypes have their, their costs. Um, but she's over time, so let's not be too hard on her, I suppose, on, on this particular point. It's just part of the story. It's part of, of how she presents it. Um, now, we get our, our goodbyes. We get uh, slaves saying how bad slavery is, obviously. And then the chapter ends with Haley, the slave trader, and Tom, talking and basically it's like if you try no tricks I'll be good to you you know I'm good to people are you know who don't cause trouble Um, and Tom assures him that he's not going to be running away and then with that mr. Haley puts um, a collar around his neck (laughs) so uh, just it's it's despite his willingness to go along with Haley's um, you know selling him down south sending him to like a really horrible place and who knows what's gonna happen to him if he's gonna make it down there. Um, he agrees to or he 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 puts on the collar or he lets Haley put the collar on. And Haley, of course, is being totally hypocritical here. He always intended to put the collar on on Tom, no matter what he said, but he just wanted that verbal submission. It's a submission ceremony, essentially is what that is. Um, Then in chapter 9, no, chapter 11, Roman numeral uh, dyslexia there, sorry, uh, it's called In Which Property Gets an Improper State of Mind. So we have the term property being used again in the title, just like we did in chapter 10, but it's a different uh, um, person. And now we're talking about George. And so we haven't thought about George for a few chapters because we had Eliza's escape. But we know George is out there. He has run away. And here's where we get um, some of what's happened to him. And this is a really wonderful chapter. Um, basically, we, this chapter starts with this description of these whites in this like uh, bar room. Um, and it's owned by this guy, Mr. Um, no, Mr. Wilson owns the factory that hired George. Who's the owner here? Ah, uh, it doesn't matter. It's like a bar, right? A, a Kentucky bar, and we got this description of hats. And it's a little aside in this in this relative, you know, it, it's it's significant as, aside in a in a novel that's not overly long. She writes, Stowe writes, In fact, everyone in the bar bore on his head this characteristic emblem of a man's sovereignty, whether it was felt hat, palm leaf, greasy beaver, or a fine new chapeau. There it reposed with true Republican independence. In truth, it appeared to be the characteristic mark of every individual. Some wore them tipped rakishly to one side. These were your men of humor, jolly, free, and easy dogs. Some of them jammed independently down there over their noses. These were your hard characters. Thorough men who, when they wore their hats, wanted to wear them, and to wear them just as they had a mind to, and that it was those who sat far over back. Wide awake men who wanted a clear prospect, while careless men did not know or care how their hats sat, and them shaking in all directions. The various hats were, in fact, quite a Shakespearean study. And then we get... uh, um, Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I, I think this might contrast with uh with enslaved men and women who enslaved men who don't get the choice of hat. They they wear the clothing that's offered to them. If they have a hat at all, it's going to be made from whatever scraps I suppose that they get. I, I know slaves are usually given like a cloth that they would have to like make into their own clothes. And they got only a certain amount each year. Um but Free men, you know, can exert their independence and their individuality with their hat and their clothing, something that blacks were not capable of doing because of the limitations imposed on them by the system of slavery. I think I I think that's uh, at least fair to say. Um, Then we see uh, the advertisement, the public advertisement for George, and a man reads it and and has a very interesting. There's a very interesting like debate about this, where he says. Like any man who owns a boy like that and can't find any better way of treating him deserves to lose him. Such papers as these is a shame to Kentucky. Well, that's my mind right now if anyone wants to know. So someone says someone who treats a slave like that ought to be you know doesn't deserve the slave, and he has no sympathy for the the author of the ad well. When you first read that, you're like, oh, is this guy like anti-slavery, you know, openly in a, in a Kentucky bar? That's kind of ballsy. That's kind of interesting. But no, he's, he has contempt for someone who can't control his slaves, who is insufficiently successful at the paternalistic uh, goal of slaveholders. It's like it's people like that who give slavery a, you know, a system I, he actually turns out agrees with and supports, in fact, quite vigorously, a bad name. Right. Because they can't control their blacks. Me, I can control my my blacks. He says bright N word is not no kind of vantage to their masters. What's the use of talents in them things if you can't get them to use them on yourself? Why well, of all the things they make on to do get round you. If I've had one or two of these fellows and I just sold them down river, I knew I got to lose them first or last if I didn't. So he says, if there was someone I couldn't control, I just sold them um, down to the south. So he's actually more brutal, actually, than than some of these other uh, characters we see who are more conflicted about slavery. We see a lot of characters on the white side who are conflicted about slavery. It's just they don't act um, enough. I mean, I guess you got the Quakers, you got people who help Eliza. But even many of the people who help Eliza are like not openly like abolitionist anti-slavery. They're just like, eh, I'm not going to like lift a finger to help the 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 masters but i'm also you know not going to put my neck out there to be anti-slavery um so i actually think the white characters are are kind of interestingly drawn here now of course she's trying to lay out archetypes of the people in in society that, that she sees around us the people who are on the fence the fence sitters she's trying to call them out i think now anyways uh there's a man at the bar, this Mr. Wilson, who owned uh, like a factory, and, and this was the factory that hired George before, right? And this was, remember, George had the, you know, the innovation to make the work more efficient, and he was fired for, for that because it was a sign he was too lazy. But anyways, um, he's like, I think I know this guy. And later on, in fact, a man walks in. It's a Spanish man. Uh, again, we see, like, as we did with the slave narratives, uh, how the color line could be Taken advantage of by um, lighter-skinned um, slaves to help with their escape uh, is certainly something that uh, George here is trying. Uh, he's dressing up as a Spanish man, which I think means like Latin American in this in this context. But um, and then he, Wilson recognizes him as George, and then they have a conversation. Now, th- now again, we don't we have someone on the white side who's not like necessarily eager to turn in George even though there's like a $400 reward for it. It was like pretty significant. Like it's like at that price just just buy a slave yeah just buy a new one. I'll get $400 from alive and the same son for satisfactory proof he's been killed. I, I think that's about the price of a, of a slave in the, in those days but um, he's serious about getting him back I guess. Um, but George tells his Mr. Wilson that Um, I'm free Um, and Wilson's kind of like well why are you breaking the laws or whatever I mean if (laughs) it's it's like every you know whenever someone like commits some property damage during a riot or a protest it's like well why couldn't you just protest without breaking the law (laughs) well it's even more acute in this case it's like yeah there's no way to protest slavery without breaking the law because the laws are there to hold slavery's Sold slaves in captivity, so any effort to challenge it is going to be by its nature illegal And George is obviously breaking the law Um, He actually scolds George for breaking the laws of your country and then his response is like Frederick Douglass' uh, response his, to the same idea in what, what to a slave is the 4th of July, saying, my country again, Mr. Wilson, you have a country, but what country have I or anyone like me born a slave mothers? What law are there for them? We don't make them. We don't consent to them. We have nothing to do with them. All they do for us is just to crush us and keep us down. And he actually mentions 4th of July speeches here. Um, a great... Uh, moment and then he goes off and and he's on his way to canada but he's going to be reunited with eliza pretty shortly uh um, then we move back to we have a chapter called uh select incidents of lawful trade which is a relatively long chapter that is about the uh the travel to the south uh on the mississippi Um, eventually they're on a ship headed to the deep south headed to new orleans for the, the sale there. Along the way, Haley buys some slaves. He, he runs into an uh, executor's sale, right? So, some states being liquidated or whatever. And there's a, f- a number of slaves for sale there. Um, all these parasites, these slave traders like Haley, or these people who float around until some, you know, old master dies and then. The kids don't want the slaves, so they they sell them out. Just like just like you know how people will, will wait for old people to die and then approach the kids to buy their house or whatever. It's like you're just the parasites on this, on this economy. You're you're like, in a way, kind of the most disgusting of, of any of them because you're you're just trying to uh, skim off the the top of a cruel system. Um, but anyways. Um, we get uh, the slave trade going on. And whenever there's a slave trade going on, I, I scenes of that, and we saw some of those in the, in the slave narratives too, is I'm reminded of the, you know, was it Johns? Who wrote that book? I forget the name. Is it is it a guy named Walter Johnson? It's a book about the slave trade, uh, the, the domestic slave trade. It's a great book written about 20 years ago, but it really emphasized like how slaves were packaged and then but there were packages with autonomy and they could play the game of negotiation like they could negotiate they could try to you know convince a buyer to buy this my son too you know or you know or try to get bought by a master who seems a little bit maybe kinder or a little less cruel that kind of back and forth game is being played with by uh by the customers so or we see a bit of that here too um and so the sales scenes are always kind of interesting to reflect on on that these are commodities that put their commodities with, with some degree of agency even in you know what must be one of the, like the most horrible days of their life when they're being sold off um, um really great chapter here um now later on haley does buy some slaves because it's going to You know take it down south and sell them for more for a profit he was buying them cheap do we have the prices here i think in fact we do um remember george was four hundred dollars just for him being a runaway Let's, let's see what these guys were bought for i don't remember the exact price they were bought for let me see if the ad here had sale the ad didn't have prices unfortunately but um the idea is to sell them for a lot more down south, south, where there's higher demand for for slaves in the in the in the late antebellum period. Then finally, we have uh, Eliza reaching the Quaker community, uh, where she's going to be protected. So we finally return to Eliza, um, and the these Quakers are already well aware of her goal to get to Canada, and they're aware of George. They know about George, and and they help reunite George and Eliza. So there's not that much development in Eliza's character here. It's just kind of setting up her her meeting George and finally able to live with him properly as, as man and wife. So it is a very touching moment. They They get to eat together. These are things that were taken from them in slavery. So that's a that's a pretty great chapter um, moving on we return to Tom's adventures on the riverboat on the Mississippi River and uh, what's kind of cool about this section is these riverboats were of course slaves were so Haley must have had to buy tickets for each of these slaves to go on the riverboat but they're not the only ones on the riverboat so there's other people who get on so Tom's able to interact with other people whites who are also on the ship, and you're gonna have people from different classes. It's a motley crew of travelers, of rich and poor workers and, and others, and as well as the sailors. Are they called sailors? This the, the boatmen, the steamboatmen. Um and because Haley trusts Tom so much because he has been so submissive in the past, he's he's basically given like a free pass to to wander the, the ship. Um, and he therefore meets some of these whites, and he meets the St. Clairs, um, and there, are, there's two of them. Now, the St. Clairs turn out to be a bigger family, but there's Augustine, Augustine St. Clair, and Evangeline St. Clair, who's a young girl. And we've seen Tom already interacting quite well with younger people, like uh, George Shelby, and not not uh, the not Eliza's husband George, but uh, Shel, his his old master's. A son George, there's a scene where he was teaching them to read. That uh, he interacts well with them, and he's interacting well with Ava, and they often come off as like friendly with them. So I don't know if this is infantilizing Tom a little bit, or if that's what Stowe's intention is, but you know, I kind of think of Jim in uh, in Huck Finn, where Jim is presented kind of as a child, like he has the same superstitions and attitudes and storytelling uh, as he does with Huck. And Huck sort of is playing with Jim for much of the novel, right? And, of course, that's Huck Finn's moral arc is to stop seeing Jim as a plaything or as a playmate. And as as a human being, he has a moral obligation to free um, or to help free. Um, But here we have Uncle Tom who just is submissive, Follows orders and does well with children, so there there is kind of an infantilizing going on here, I I think, um, but he's not a. The thing is, he's he's able to throughout the story uh, maintain his morality, his goodness, even though he's being submissive. Now we could argue whether that's good or not. I mean, there are people who are gonna who have argued and 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 see this character as as a negative. Not just a negative stereotype, but like an actually kind of insidious model of of the good submissive black. Um, and I don't think that's Stowe's intention. I think she's trying to show someone persisting in his goodness despite the horrors he sees around him. I mean, there's there's a moment where someone jumps off the boat. One of the slaves that Haley bought jumps off the boat and and Tom doesn't save her. She, I, I, does she just die? I mean, she just, I don't, I don't think we hear, I, I don't remember hearing about her later in the story. But, okay, what, what happens with this Ava St. Clair, though, moving on from this question of, of is Stowe infantilizing Tom? She's certainly not with George, um, Eliza's husband, George, or Eliza, for that matter, who's presented as a mother. George is fighting to be a father. These are these are clear adult roles. Um, Tom doesn't quite ha- have that um, because he's a, he remains a slave. He can't be a parent. He can't be. Uh, he can't fit into his actual gender role. That's that. That comes from. That's his birthright because he's a slave. But by freeing by George and Eliza by freeing themselves, are able to take on their proper gender roles. As as father and mother, I think. I mean, that moment when she's Eliza's grasping her her son, protecting him, jumping across the the frozen river, right? That's her at her most motherly, right? That's her caring for, sacrificing her body, her feet, suffering for her son. But it's also the moment she's getting earning her freedom through her struggle. Um. Anyways, I'm kind of belaboring the point here, but um. What happens in the plot is Ava falls off the boat. Another person falls off the boat Um, and Tom goes and saves her. He jumps off the boat and saves her, does the heroic thing, which he didn't save that black woman who (laughs) jumped off earlier. But he does rescue her. Again, a sign of him sacrificing himself for whites, not for his own freedom. And he does benefit from this in a way, though, because Ava convinces her father to buy Tom um, and Ava wants to do it because she wants to be she wants to pay back Tom so the sign is like maybe we'll treat Tom well and I don't know what's going to happen with this story they're going to enter into a kind of a very strange dynamic this family they're going to is it's, it's kind of wild there's some weird stuff going on I can kind of hint I, I kind of can predict where it's going to go but we will we'll talk about that when we get to the next and last chapter I want to talk about in this episode so anyways in, indeed uh, St. Clair does buy Tom from Haley and and Haley and Tom part and then we get um, then we get a chapter chapter 15 of Tom's New Masters and Various Other Matters which is just like uh, the side plot discussion of 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 the St. Clairs. It's a weird, weird family. There's some weird stuff going on here. And I think there's a lot of Chekhov's guns in this chapter. Otherwise, why have it, right? Um, So first we have, um, so St. Clair, Augustine St. Clair, is uh, very emotional. He's very sentimental. He's this kind of archetypical sentimental man that you find in these kinds of, of novels. Um, he's still a slaveholder. Obviously, he, there's it's not just Tom that he buys because and to to free him from Halsey, it's not that kind of situation. He is a slaveholder. There's other slaves in his ho- household. Um, but he's like raised by a doting mother, uh, and he becomes kind of a softy, contrasting with Haley, who's who's who's. Uh, Horrible, but but hard, and a lot of these other male characters that we see are quite hard. And George is hard. So, uh, I you know I think there's a lot about fe- like women in this book, but the, as I'm reading it, I'm really touched by like the different images of masculinity we're presented with here. And Augustine is um, presented kind of soft, right? I mean, he gives in to his daughter when she begs him to buy a slave this uh, by his Tom. Um, and he's actually, sca- like, there's like some weird stuff in his earlier relationship. Uh, he fell in love with a woman, um, but he gets a letter saying, uh, I'm going to marry someone else. I'm not going to, I don't love you. It's like a long distance relationship. It's like, so he gets the, 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 the he gets the text that says like, I'm marrying someone else. And he's like, sad. So he goes to marry like this evil, one, like the evil woman that he, he knows, named Marie. And, and then he gets like a text back. It's like, oh, that message you got was actually from someone, a trickster who wanted to marry me. I, you know, I still love you. And he's like, oh, I already married this, this uh, evil woman, Marie. Sorry. Um, I, I guess it's just a sign of him not like, you know, there, it's that softness in that character, I guess, is, is what I get out of that. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting dynamic, um, and it's like Marie wears pants in the in the relationship um, because of that. And she's very like she's just kind of a money grubbing kind of character. Um, and I think you get the sense that maybe the reason they have slaves is because that's what Marie wants. Because it's you know Augustine Saint Clair seems to ha- be a little bit. Uh, Not comfortable with slavery. Um, And she's not even like a very good mother. She's always complaining. She's not doing her work. So Augustine has to bring in his cousin, Ophelia. And Ophelia, so we got like three adults in the household. And Ophelia is, I don't know, she's a very practical woman. And... There's some interesting things about her character. For, for, I, when I was reading her, I'm like, even the, like, in a way, is she trying to describe like Catherine Beecher? Now, Catherine Beecher never married. So I, I don't know what Catherine Beecher really was like in the way she managed her household. But she wrote a book, The Treatise of the Domestic Economy, where she encourages women, wives, to take control of that sphere, that, that female sphere, the home, and apply to its science, like scientifically manage your home. That's that's her, her idea of domestic economy. It's like, use efficiency, use, uh, you know, use kind of science to manage your home properly and efficiently. So it's about women taking control of that sphere, right? And although Catherine Beecher obviously wouldn't have been, in the, wasn't a Southerner, wasn't, didn't have slavery, she, you know, Ophelia is kind of a, uh, like a large woman, and, and I don't know, Catherine Beecher, I just got this image. I I don't really know fully what she looks like. She wasn't a beautiful woman, and neither was like Harriet. wasn't that beautiful either. But uh, but you know, she, she just seems like in my mind, in my mind's eye, like this like a massive kind of powerful woman, right? And maybe that's just an impression I get from reading Treatise of Domestic Economy. I'd, I'd have to go look up some pictures of her. I think I've seen a couple, but I don't clearly remember what she looks like. Anyways, Ophelia was that kind of no-nonsense, unmarried woman who, like, put the house in order. And, and that's her role here. So I, I think it's kind of interesting um, how she's presented. And I'm just thinking, is is she kind of conjuring up her sister in this in this portrayal of, of Olivia. Um you know, of course Catherine Catherine Beecher never had a family because she was and, and Ophelia's not married, but she can fulfill the role of being like that motherly figure in the in the household and a rational organizer of the family economy. In a way Catherine Beecher did it through her writing. Um but anyways, they come back, and immediately, uh, when August, Augustine, Tom, and Ava come back, of course Tom is new to the household. Immediately, Marie like yells at him for like taking too long, like you didn't call, <laughs> you know. And he like brings her flowers or something, and 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 she's like, I don't want that, you know. Where have you been, bringing a new slave here? I mean, she's, it's just like. So it's, a, it's such a cliche, nagging wife, it's, um, it, it, it's kind of fun, <laughs> to be honest. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, so I, what I'm trying to say here is the way gender is used in these novels. We have very interesting women. We have a host of different women. We have like Mrs. Shelby and Ophelia and Marie, and we have Ava, and we have Eliza. We, we have a whole host of women in just a couple hundred pages into this. And they're all like play different. They have different representations and different functions. They're different archetypes. And it's the same with the men. We have white men who are soft like Shelby and Augustine. We have these hard, brutal, vulgar, disgusting men like the slave hunters, the men at the bar. We have men who are southerner and are ostensibly pro-slavery but will help slaves from time to time run away like Wilson um, and the the senator, the state senator from Ohio. I guess he wasn't he wasn't from the South, but he was he just voted for a fugitive slave law for Ohio and then turns around and like gives Eliza a helping hand. We have the Quakers, abolitionists, Underground Railroad folks. We, We the the different representations of gender here run the gamut and they're all intersecting with having different relationships with slavery. And I think ultimately, Harry Peter Stowe is testing these different representations of, of men and women, I mean on the white side, against how they f- act when they're confronted with the reality of slavery, right? And at the end of the day, Shelby and Augustine St. Clair fail, because even though they might, in their heart of hearts, not want slavery and feel it's kind of disgusting, they go along with it. Augustine St. Clair, maybe because that's what his wife wants. Like, I don't know him well enough. I get the sense that that's what it's about. And Shelby, because, you know, he was in debt. Well, how, where did that debt come from? I don't know. But he ultimately does a horrible thing, sells off Tom and, and, and Harry because he asked, because it's a way of, of saving the family farm or whatever. So they fail that test. And then that test could be religious, like you have a religious heart, but you make the wrong choice because of the, you ultimately are are committed to the institution. So slavery does not, or I should say, uh, slavery tests people, and their goodness fails before uh, their material interests. I think that's what I was trying to say. So anyway, it's a really good section. A lot of interesting things going on in this novel. I'm enjoying it quite a lot. Um, So next time I speak with you, we'll look at We'll, we'll finish Volume 1 and get into Volume 2, so we'll, we'll go up through Chapter uh, 22, I guess. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably we'll be past halfway through, so we'll start to see how the novel's going to wrap up. Uh, we should have a clear idea of where we're going with these characters. Um, if you have any thoughts about any of these issues, especially gender or, or the representation of Tom. Let me know what you think. I'll be very interested in your thoughts. Um, so anyways, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.